Hello, you're listening to Josiah's Voice. I'm your host, Josiah Bradley. In this conversational podcast, I invite you on my journey through TV, film, and writing. Plus, fellow artists visit with me to share their own unique creative voices along the way. Tune in and get inspired. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Josiah's Voice. I'm your host, Josiah Bradley. And today I'm coming at you with um, something of a, a book slash miniseries review. The novel The Queen's Gambit was written by Walter Tevis, published back in 2003. Uh, the Goodreads book description is as follows. Eight-year-old orphan Beth Harmon is quiet, sullen, and by all appearances, unremarkable. That is, until she plays her first game of chess. Her senses grow sharper, her thinking clearer, and for the first time in her life, she feels herself fully in control. By the age of 16, she's competing for the U.S. Open Championship. But as she hones her skills on the professional circuit, the stakes get higher. Her isolation grows more frightening, and the thought of escape becomes all the more tempting. Engaging and fast-paced, the Queen's Gambit speeds to a conclusion as elegant and satisfying as a mate in four. And a mate in four is a chess move. So uh, if you haven't guessed or if you hadn't seen uh, the Queen's Gambit or read the book, the story is uh, the Queen's Gambit is a chess move. Um, I played chess growing up, but I've never done the Queen's Gambit. But um as the description says, uh, this is a story about a young woman who just rises through the ranks in the world of chess. It's a period piece taking place in the late 50s to the late 60s, uh, 1950s to 1960s, uh, starting in Kentucky. Yeah, it's just a really insular, competitive world of chess that's just really thrilling uh, to read about. Like, I, I grew up uh, briefly about me. Um, my dad and a family friend introduced me to the game of chess when I was a little kid. I don't remember how old I was. Um, I remember I started off on those, like, I think they were dollar store chess sets that, uh, fold, uh, they're, they're like plastic or wooden and they fold in half and, uh, they, the pieces magnetized to the board, which I always thought was, was really cool. Um, and so I started off on those and my dad tried to get me into chess books but I think it was just, it was all Greek to me. I just, I couldn't get it. It also kind of seemed like there was math involved and I really didn't like math growing up. But I did think the game of chess was cool. I did see it as like a next step up from like checkers, you know, which is a fun, fast paced game. And, you know, you double pieces, you know, like, like kinging them and things like that. Um, and all the intricate moves of chess of, you know, characters that, move one space forward or they move numerous spaces or squares, uh, you know, left and right, up and down, diagonally, the knights that move in L shapes, you know, um, and I knew about like uh, certain kinds of combinations like um, castling where you like move your king a few spaces, like a couple spaces to the left or right. And then your castle, also known as a rook, like can kind of jump over it to kind of help protect it. I hope I described that right. Because I haven't played chess in years, actually. But I just remember as a kid thinking, you know, in the few games I played, that chess was just this really cool game full of 
all these cool medieval pieces, these cool medieval characters um, that advance on the board, you know, all in an attempt to try to take your opponent's king, you know, which is cool to get them in uh, checkmate, which is where the king can't escape because, you know, he's going to be taken, you know, imminently. King is like the weakest, but the most valuable, you know, piece that's, you know, you get that, then you win. The story is called The Queen's Gambit, named after the queen, which is arguably the most powerful piece on the board. It can go in any direction. It can glide across the board, you know, left, right, up, down, diagonal, you know, and it's just, it's a beautiful piece. So I played it a little bit growing up and then I haven't played it in, in a few years I I know you can play with clocks, um, which is, you know, a faster pace, you know, of, of playing the game of chess. I knew some people who uh, who played with clocks. I never did that, but I always thought that it was uh, I always thought chess was just a really cool game. That's a little bit on the, the game of chess. So moving right along, um, I'm going to talk about the book and I'm going to talk about the Netflix uh, miniseries. Starting with uh, the book by Walter Tevis, um, who I can't wait to I can't re- wait to read more uh, more of his work. I hear he's also a sci-fi writer uh, as well, but has also written other books um, like uh, a book called The Hustler, and I think also I think it's called The Color of Money or The Smell of Money. One of those, um, where he writes more thriller books about different types of sports. I think The Hustler is about pool. Might even be a movie about it. Don't quote me. I'll have to check later. But um, okay, back to The Queen's Gambit, the book. It's uh, one of the things I really like about it is it's one of those books that is, um, it follows the protagonist singularly. It's all about uh, Beth Harmon. It's a coming of age story, um, just charting her course from being eight years old in the orphanage, having lost her mom. Um, and then her befriending the janitor, Mr. Scheibel, him teaching her the game of chess in the basement amongst all his tools to her getting adopted and, um, really beginning to rise through the ranks at about age 15 or 16 in, um, us competitive chess. And then it charts her course continuously as she, um, continues to rise through the ranks, um, on her quest to becoming world champion. The book is full of a cast of memorable characters like uh, the the guys that she meets um, while competing, like uh, Beltic and Benny Watts and Towns. Um, her arch nemesis is a Russian uh, world champion named Borgov. And um, her adoptive mother, Mrs. Wheatley, is is really cool and really, really interesting. Her friend Jolene is is really cool uh, in the book as well. And um, there but but the story, like I said, follows Beth singularly. But you do get a sense of other characters, personalities, any goals that they might have or their outlook on life. But uh, I thought it was a really taught story. And really made it, it really just had a lot to say about this young girl growing up into a woman and it being a coming of age story, in my opinion, seemed to make the singular focus. Um, it seemed to strengthen it because there are other books and this is not like a critique or anything or, or a knock against other books that do this. But there are other books that are ensemble books or that have a, a large cast of characters 
And sometimes the story might veer off, not in a bad way, but um, go and explore the side characters and the B plots and things like that. But I realized it had been a while since I'd read a book strictly from one character's point of view and seeing other characters and events through the protagonist's eyes. It had been a while since I had read something like that and written this way. It was it was really cool. It sometimes even reminded me of of like a novella structure. Um, the book's maybe 250 pages max or so. Um, so it's not a it's not a very long book, but it's not a very short one either, though I did read it in like five days because when I got it on Libby, um, I was on some type of skip the wait list or something. But it's a really weird thing because it's like I only had seven days to read it as opposed to three weeks. So um, but the story's so good. And like I said, I just watched the miniseries and then I immediately found the book. I don't always do that, but in this case, I had to. And so I had the momentum of having finished the show on Netflix to propel me through the book. So I finished it in like four or five days. It's just uh, Beth Harmon, you know, is uh, she's orphaned um, in the book. It doesn't say I don't think really what was going on with um, Mrs. Harmon, Beth's mom. We just know in the book that her mom, um, her mom's died, whereas uh, in the Netflix show, they explore a little bit more. They, they add a little bit more and say that Beth's mom was also, they hint that her mom's a genius. Beth Harmon's a chess prodigy. And in the miniseries, they kind of say that Beth inherited her genius intellect from her mom. So I thought that was cool. Um, cause in the book that I recall, they don't say that, um, her mom and her dad are, mis are mysterious figures. Her dad's barely mentioned. We just know that Beth has been orphaned. The book takes place when she's at a Methune home in Kentucky. She's already been orphaned for maybe a, f a, a, f a maybe a few weeks or so. And, uh, yeah, her, they got in a car accident and that's it. Not much else is said about Beth Harmon's family. Whereas in the uh, the Netflix series, um, they do a cool thing where they kind of, in, near as I can tell, they add that Beth inherited her genius intellect from her mom. It's kind of a beautiful mind type of thing. Saying a little bit more uh, about the the book, it's um it's just told really straightforward. The prose is really straightforward, and I guess what that mean what I mean by that is. It's kind of, um, I mentioned a novella as far as book length, but also just in structure. In a novella, you have to kind of focus on really just one character and you're kind of just going to, you're, you're going to focus on them and travel with them throughout the book. Um, the, the entire time you're, you might not really have any side plots. You're just going to focus on what the protagonist is after and their quest. Um, and it's very economically written there's not a lot of fat as opposed to making a distinction between a novella and a novel a novel like say harry potter or the lord of the rings will have a lot of characters and uh, will spend more time with side characters and side missions and things like that and uh, that's regardless of even genre i know i'm saying side mission that's also in gonna be in your romance novels and you know Things where there's lower stakes, things that aren't so epic. 
Um, and so the book, The Queen's Gambit, follows, uh, like I said, Beth Harmon. Specifically, we see events through her eyes and there really aren't any side plots. It's just all about the development of her chess skills as well as her personal uh, development. As far as personal development goes, she's very introverted. I think the book uh, really captures that uh, really well. She keeps to herself a lot. Um, there is underlying trauma that she, I don't know, initially that she knows she has, having lost her mom, having been in this strange world of the, the orphanage and its rules and and uh, the, the religious movies that they watch every, what, Thursday night and uh, the, the, the rules about, you know, um, or, or getting demerits if you don't do things right and just the strictures and um, the, there, there's the, the world of the, you know, the vitamins and the, the tranquilizers that they take because back in the late 50s, apparently it was legal in the uh, orphanage system. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but in orphanages, I guess it was okay to sort of sedate children, you know, to kind of have more control over them. It sounds creepy as I think it should because eventually it's outlawed. And that's, you know, a, a small portion of the story where um, they call, you know, the tranquilizers, um, the children don't take them anymore. Um, and part of the story uh, explores, you know, as far as the tranquilizers and Beth being an introvert and managing uh, growing up, feeling alone and confused. The tranquilizers play, you know, substance abuse and addiction plays a big part. And so um, she also deals with alcoholism as as well. And the book um, just paints a really intriguing and engaging picture of Beth becoming better and better at chess, having learned from the janitor, Mr. Scheibel, who's one of her only other friends. But the, the story does a really good job of uh, just showing how Beth continues to advance. Like there's a really great, in both the book and the miniseries, a great handling of her arc and her growth, both personally and skillfully as a chess player. Um, one of the things that I really liked about the book as far as chess goes is um, I could be wrong. I could have just read over it really quickly. And also I know how to play chess. I know the, the objective of the game, which is to capture uh, the king um, or force your opponent to resign by knocking their king over when they see that checkmate is imminent. Um, the book doesn't, I can't remember if the book actually tells you that that's the objective of chess. Again, it might have. Regardless, the book does a really great job of telling you what the pieces can do. The bishop, the king, the queen, and the pawns. I don't think I left out anything. Um, I believe there are 54 squares. I think 54 to 64 squares on a chess set. And the book just tells you... Uh, it does a great job of using narrative summary to describe the moves and the games and the tensions and the thrills and chills of a game of chess, of a chess match. And uh, I think my loose understanding of narrative summary is where the narrator just kind of gives the reader the broad strokes of an event that's taking place. It's not in really the character's point of view um, or another character's point of view. 
it's just kind of, you know, uh, it wraps up in a pretty bow what a character's thinking, events, what maybe a handful of characters are thinking in a few sentences, basically, is is the most basic way I can describe narrative summary. And in my opinion, uh, Walter Tevis, the author, did a great job of using narrative summary to describe the the various aspects and complexities of chess to the reader, especially in the event that you don't know anything about chess, but you find yourself reading The Queen's Gambit. So um, if you're interested in reading it, I think you'll that'll be one of the reasons you like the book, because I think Walter does a really good job of um, making chess as plain as possible. He's not trying to confuse you. He's not trying to exclude you from how chess works. He uses uh, Beth Harmon and the supporting cast to describe different moves of chess, different um, things that are at stake uh, in the various competitions. He, he sprinkles exposition and the machinations of chess very well. He spreads them out over narrative summary and over various characters and the things that they have at stake and the things that they don't know and that they want to learn. Um, which is great because the book describes a lot of different chess moves like the Queen's Gambit, like uh, the Sicilian Open. A lot of different moves and techniques are described, you know, castling. I mentioned that earlier um, and other more sophisticated moves. He He lists them off and they come up a lot. So you come to recognize them and you come to recognize them. Um, with very loose layman's understandings of how they work, but you understand them also based on how valuable the maneuvers are to Beth and to her opponents. So Walter Tevis also relies on recognition of the name of characters, emotional responses to these maneuvers to give all readers a sense of what's at stake and how the game's being played. So that's that might be my favorite aspect of the book as far as just trying to describe how well written it is, not only from the story and the character arcs, but also it's about chess and it's about the world of chess. But um, Walter really does hold your hand through the book as far as like just describing the world of chess and the money, you know, the prizes that can be won the different locations where the chess matches take place. And yeah, I think that's my favorite part, just his mastery of narrative summary and just how kind he is in his writing, his word selection, repetition of names, using character emotions and character descriptions and reactions to convey the dynamics of chess games and its impact uh, on the characters and how much they they love it. That's probably my favorite aspect uh, of reading The Queen's Gambit. Um, I totally have to go buy it. I, w- I can't wait to read this book uh, again. But it's just uh, it's just a really great read and it's a brisk it's a brisk read. Like I said, it's maybe two hundred fifty pages max. I think it's a it may actually be two hundred and thirty pages. I think, but it's. The prose from, you know, descriptions of the game to how characters think and interact is just very brisk. Um, It's very economically written. There's not a lot of fat. Um, And each chapter, um, it feels like 
a short story. It, it, it reads like a short story. And I think readers will appreciate that. I greatly appreciated it. It was also interesting since I had come off the miniseries. The miniseries is seven episodes. And, you know, they truncate or combine certain chapters, you know, per episode and economically stretch out certain arcs over a few episodes. You know, they use the time really well. And the chapters in the book are the same. It just feels like um, or it reads like here's what Beth's trying to do um, at this age and at this stage of the game um, in this location, which is really cool. Um, a lot is summarized in in those few things. How old she is, where the match is, um, how much money is at stake. Um, so there's a lot of globe trotting, and a lot of that is wrapped up really nicely in each chapter. And then as she gets better, she starts traveling to uh to to different states, you know, like New York, and then she starts going to different countries like you know she uh, she goes to paris or she goes to mexico city and then of course the end game is going to moscow um to face down her nemesis borgov um and so it's it's just it's really exciting it's really thrilling i really felt i learned a lot more about chess um and how the matches work how the world works it really just really was really insular i loved how Everyone, all the characters that Beth meets, they're all addicted to the game in their own way. Um, they all have their own little little ticks. You know, there are characters who like comb their hair after making every move or something like that. Or there are characters who are distinguished by what they wear. Like like, you know, one character named Benny Watts wears a certain kind of hat or carries a pocket knife on him all the time and just Little little things like that just make uh, the story even that much more rich. And, dis- and the characters are more distinctive and they have personalities and a sense of personal style. There's one really cool thing that affects all the characters, which is if they become champion, what will they do with the rest of their lives? Because they're probably going to become champion depending on how old they are and how young they started. Maybe in their maybe by 16 or by 21 And there's just this really deep fascination I had with like, yeah, what are you going to do if you win? And it was really fascinating and sometimes kind of sad and sobering to realize that certain characters, Beth included, initially don't know what she's going to do with her life because all she knows is chess. And I just think it's, uh, man, it was a wild ride. And I just felt like I was really in her head and I was in the head of chess grandmasters. So um, that's what I can hype about about the book. Um, I'm going to take a quick break and then I'll come back to talk about the Netflix miniseries and I'm sure I'll remember more stuff about the book then. So, um, but yeah, check out the book. Definitely uh, The Queen's Gambit by Walter Tevis. I, I gave it five stars on Goodreads. I don't give a lot of things five stars, but like, I just, I loved it. Like I said, I can't wait to buy it. And reread it again. You need to check out uh, The Queen's Gambit. Check out that book. Um, I'll take a break and then I'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by the novel Noteworthy Tribute. Hello, we are the authors of Noteworthy Tribute. I'm Mark. And I'm Josiah. Noteworthy Tribute is a coming of age story where characters young and old learn the importance of relationships, 
and that sacrifice is the bridge to their destiny. Corey Lynn Faber finds himself in Virginia Beach, 3,000 miles away from home, after the death of his best friend and bandmate. While on the path to rediscovery, he meets a local aspiring music producer, Evan Spencer. Evan, a, a young DJ, has his own struggles with his family's desire for him to pursue college and a quote-unquote normal life versus starting a band and traveling. All of this unfolds against the backdrop of family secrets. Here's some reasons why you'd want to read it. You'll get the view of a young black male navigating his future versus that of his single parent mother. There are generational tensions. You'll read about relationships between characters who are 20 something and their parents. Plus, our readers share that it's a great short weekend read. Here's where you can go pick up a copy. Amazon.com Noteworthy Tribute. It comes in paperback and Kindle. Or go to awakenwithmark.com and click the book link. Thank you. And I'm back. Okay, so now I'm just going to hype up the Netflix series. You need to check it out. The Queen's Gambit on Netflix is seven episodes long. Uh, it was written and created by Scott Frank and Alan Scott. <laughs> That's funny. They kind of share the same names. I heard in my research that I think they they tried to make The Queen's Gambit a movie, I think, in the early 2000s. But it just, I don't know, it fell apart for some reason. They talk about it more in the uh, the Queen's Gambit featurette. and uh, But I'm glad they, they were able to make it into a miniseries. I think it really served the, the story uh, a lot better. It stars Anya Taylor-Joy. I've only seen her in a couple of things, but I really liked her in both. Um, I th yeah, I think it was just the M. Night Shyamalan movies. I first saw her in Split and then the sequel Glass. She's in those movies and she's in other stuff. I got to go check out the rest of her her catalog on Letterboxd and IMDb and whatnot. I love the, everyone loves the uh, CGI chess sets, the mental chess set in her mind, in Beth Harmon's mind. Um, a lot is said of how grandmasters and chess players, really good chess players, uh, replay chess games in their head. Um, that's talked about a lot in the book, and it's no exception in, on Netflix. And I love how they visualize it with uh, Beth Harmon playing chess on the ceiling. She starts off in the orphanage playing it, which is that says a lot, right, about her genius level intellect. She's playing it upside down on the ceiling. And that comes up a lot. Uh, or Well, not a lot. It comes up here and there. It, it has a presence, the, the, uh, the imaginative, um, the, the mental game of, of the chess pieces in her head. And they do cool things sometimes with um, not even showing the shadow chessboard, but they show uh, shadows of pieces on her face sometimes when she's alone and just watching her intensely replay the game. And it's really cool because it's supplemented by her also at chess boards after she's played um, her opponents or when she's training and getting ready to play. It's supplemented well to just show, you know, her playing games, her reading various chess books. And then, of course, the mental game in her head with the CGI chess set is just really cool. And it just makes chess have more of a character, I thought. I think that's kind of everybody's favorite 
are one of the standouts of the show. Um, and you know Netflix. Netflix loves to push the envelope with their visuals and their movies and their shows um, in different kind of ways from, you know, text messages on screen in House of Cards to now with, you know, animations and CGI and things to just kind of add that extra kick to their productions. And The Queen's Gambit is uh, no exception. Anya Taylor-Joy just does an amazing job um, of just capturing, now that I've read the book, capturing Beth Harmon's, you know, her genius level intellect, her being an introvert, and, and how tough it is for her to make connections. She's always, you know, she's inhaling chess regularly. Uh, chess review magazines and, and her training books. And it's just really great stuff. So yeah, a little even about the cast. Marielle Heller, who plays Alma Wheatley, Beth's adoptive mom. She's really sweet. She's, she's really cool. Um, there's some neat little tension in the beginning because I wasn't sure if I could trust her at first because money starts to come up. Beth keeps winning and with winning comes all this grand prize money, you know. So I thought Marielle was, was really awesome. Uh, it was cool to see Harry Melling. Uh, who plays um, Harry Beltick, uh, Beth's first, yeah, I think her first nemesis. That was cool because he's from um, the Harry Potter movies. He played uh, Dudley. <laughs> so uh, that was cool. Last time I saw him, he was in, uh, what was it? The Old Guard. I was like, oh yeah, that's Dudley. Okay. So um, that was cool to to see him. And he he he's a cool character. Because um, uh, Beth learns... She learns a lot. That's a big part of this story in this miniseries. Personal growth and is tracked expertly through the writing and the direction and the acting. But she learns a lot from her rivals. Like she learns by playing, which is which is awesome. And Thomas, I'm trying to remember how to say Brody Sangster. He plays another uh, rival named Benny Watts, who um, Beth comes to, to, you know, she tries to, to connect with. And she learns a lot from him, uh, especially about speed chess. And that was cool because she, th the series tracks really well, you know, from your standard, you know, just set up a game, you know, in your living room and play to then matches, you know, just an organized, you know, game at a community center or a university or something to then clocks. Well, that includes clocks. I'm sorry. At these, these matches where you can have like two, at least, I think there's like two hours set into a chess clock. I think you'll have to look that up. And every time you make a move, you, you hit the other person's clock to, to stop the clock basically. So even though there are maybe an hour or two programmed into the clock, games can still go for four plus hours because time is always stopping. It's kind of like football or basketball or something. When play stops, you know, uh, the clock stops. And then when you're back in play, what's different from football, though, for chess is that each player has their own time as opposed to just a general game clock for play. And then going from there to then uh, speed chess, which is still utilizing the clock. But uh, I guess you can set it for a certain amount of time. You know, who can win in five or ten minutes or something like that. And these guys are that good, you know, and gambling gets involved in, in certain points. And that's really exciting. And so, yeah, like I said, you know, interesting cast of, of characters. Performances are great. Let me say a little bit about the costuming. Well, you know, what? the costuming and the, the props and the set deck, the, the, the vehicles, 
the recreation of certain hotels and, and universities from, you know, drapes and carpet and sense of style and makeup. Um, the music, of course, um, all those things are just their next level, man. The, the art department and the costuming and, and the props, they did a great job of just transporting me um, into the late 50s throughout the 60s. You know, and the hairstyles and, and the, the jewelry, the watches, the glasses, um, the shoes. It's just, they did a bang up job. Uh, what else can I say? And I guess uh, as I bring it to a close, this is a great book to film adaptation. Pretty much everything, you know, that happens in the book happens in the miniseries. A few things are, are, are cut out or some characters... There might have been one character that was an amalgamation of a couple or they move some things around because, you know, two different mediums. Um, you want to make, you know, the book as satisfying an experience as you can. And you want to make the movie or in this case, the TV miniseries um, as satisfying as possible. And sometimes you have to sometimes you have to tweak some things or rearrange, rearrange some some scenes, you know. And like, you know, she's she's also a woman dominating. You know, this is the 60s. And um, I thought the story overall in the book and the miniseries handled it really well. Just her growth as far as like initially Beth doesn't care that she's like most usually the only woman in, you know, in a man's world. Initially, she doesn't care. She's just got this singular focus on chess because she's been alone her whole life. And when she plays chess, she's in control. You know, I like, I don't know. It could have been anything that she, I think that she could have learned back at the orphanage at eight years old. Cause those are your formative years, man. And they shape you, you know, the, a lot of the experiences you have when you're a little kid, when you're a preteen, better yet, when you become a teenager and the hormones are changing, you're discovering yourself and you're developing, they, they set you on a course for who you're going to be. And, you know, she didn't really understand. Beth didn't really understand what was up with her mom, you know, and, Sometimes in the miniseries, she's not sure, like, how extreme her obsession is, you know, like, and, and her, like, is she also addicted to chess just as much as she's addicted to, to tranquilizers and alcohol, you know, and if so, can chess do what substances haven't done, which is give her a sense of calm and control and a deeper sense of, of self, like, can they? And I think the miniseries did that really well. She came from a hard background, lost her family at a young age, was put in, in and was put into these strange exotic worlds of the Methune orphanage and then the world of chess and competitive chess. And then seeing that the world is a lot bigger than Kentucky, you know, and meeting all these strange people throughout her life and experimenting with drugs and sex and alcohol and um, learning foreign languages, you know, to fight, to face off with all these different grandmasters across the world, right? It's just really, really fascinating stuff. And I just thought the miniseries did a great job of um, getting into Beth Harmon's head, um, exploring her substance abuse, her sense of isolation, being alone. She's a master at chess, and it seems to bring people into her life and at the same time cut her off from people. And I just really felt for her, you know, over those seven episodes, never mind the book. Um, my heart really went out to her oftentimes of just, you know, just how alone she she felt and how I wish she could just be a kid, you know. But um, it's just her quest for control and to just make sense of the pain that she feels and um, to try to discover, can she connect to something greater than herself 
And will it bring her happiness? You know, I just thought the miniseries just did that really, really well. The miniseries is also just as economical and well-paced as the book. The book is like 14 chapters and um, the, like I said, the miniseries is like seven episodes. So yeah, I can't hype up The Queen's Gambit enough. You should check out the book. Um, it's a brisk read. It's it's really engrossing and engaging. And check it out on Netflix, you know. Um, I'd, in my opinion, you can go back or back and forth or you I watched it and then read it um but that's only because I didn't know you know I started to do research and I was like oh it's based off a book you know so so then I I I read it but um it's just it's awesome I gave it five stars you know I usually don't really care about ratings but I mean <laughs> I went ahead and 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 gave them five stars I thought it, it was great and um yeah I definitely learned a lot about how to like be focused on your protagonist's voice and point of view how to be, um, I saw great examples of how to write economically, trim the fat, um, both in, uh, fiction, you know, prose, as well as writing for screen and how to also, you know, when writing for screen, how to find unique ways, you know, using special effects to visualize the way a character thinks, you know, like I mentioned the mental chessboard that Beth always has going on in her mind um it's just crazy to think that she plays games in her mind not just on the chessboard but in her mind so um but it's great so check out the book check out the series on netflix um anya uh taylor joy is just the best um and i can't wait to see you know what what she does next um i think if you're an aspiring writer or filmmaker overall, I think you can learn a lot about the craft um, from reading the book and from watching the miniseries. So that's more reason to check it out. Um, but it's also just really entertaining. You'll learn a lot about chess. I heard that chess uh, fascination and interest in chess has really gone up. And uh, we're also in a pandemic. So people also have a lot of time to not only read and binge watch Netflix, but pick up a game, you know, learn something new. And I think you'll find the world of chess really fascinating. I don't know if it's that dramatic in real life, but the book and the series found a way to really mine, you know, what drama there was and, and visualize it and just make it really fascinating. That's it. That's The Queen's Gambit. I love it. And I think you will, too. So until next time, I'll talk to you guys later. See ya. Thank you guys for tuning in to Josiah's Voice, the podcast. Subscribe on all listening platforms and you can keep up with the show on social media by following at Josiah's Voice Pod on all social media. And keep up with the show on the blog. Subscribe at the blog at www.josiahsvoicepodcast.wordpress.com for all the show notes for each and every episode. And if you like my theme music, the song is called Emotion. It's by Mateo. Subscribe to him on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks, guys.